Hey, Max. I hope you're excited because this week I have even more voodoo for you. Oh, yeah. I like voodoo. But don't get too excited because this voodoo is looking awfully white. (laughs) Oh, no. Welcome to Second to Die, the horror fiction podcast where we talk about lots of things. And sometimes horror. And sometimes horror. I'm Max. And I'm Cole. And today, at least for me, is the third part in my Halloween October series. And so I'm, well, that is what it is. (laughs) It's basically for the month of October, I'm doing all movies that either take place on or around Halloween. And today is the third part of my poor planning, (laughs) and I'm just doing books. I just thought it would be easy. Sometimes it's kind of hard for me to choose a movie, and I'll just literally, quite literally, spend hours browsing through movies thinking, what do I want to watch for this? And so this gave me some direction, and so I like that. Okay, so I realized last week at the end of our podcast that I mentioned that I liked Rob Zombie films but that he had done a couple what I called Lemons, and specifically named the movie 31, which I am 100% confident you have not seen. Rude. What if that's my favorite movie? (laughs) It's not, because I know your favorite movie is Beauty and the Beast. Maybe. (laughs) Um, Okay, so the reason I bring that up is because perhaps... That is being a little too harsh. And so then I decided, well, maybe I'll just do 31. So today, I'm talking about the 2016 Rob Zombie film, 31. The age I will be next year. Yeah. Okay, so I actually had seen this before. And I didn't love, love it. And I'll just give everyone a heads up right now. I don't love, love this movie today either. That approach worked so well for us last week. (laughs) Well, last week I knew that I hated Halloween 3. This week I knew that I was just okay with 31. And it dawned on me that 31 takes place in Halloween. And I didn't really think about that when I was planning these out. But I was like, oh, why wouldn't I just do that? Also, I haven't done a Rob Zombie movie. And I do like his movies in general. And I like him in general. Rob Zombie, I'm sure a lot of people know, but for people who don't know, kind of got his start in the band White Zombie, which was, you're looking at me with this look of sheer blankness. Well, first of all, I didn't know that. Oh. Yeah. So obviously Rob Zombie ended up being a solo musician and he did, you know, Dracula and like all those songs. Yeah, I do. I have heard Dracula. Yeah. So before that... He was with this band, White Zombie. I mean, he created this band, White Zombie, with a few different people. Actually, one of them, um, his bassist, her name is Sean E. Salt. She moved to New Orleans and opened up the Saint Bar, which is in the Lower Garden District here in New Orleans. And funny enough, it's kind of it's this really cool super dive bar. I used to go to it fairly often because. I used to bartend about four to five blocks down the street at Moonlight Cafe, which I think I've talked about before. And that is the bar that I started my horror movie Tuesdays in, which 
was I bartended every Tuesday night and I used to do three back-to-back horror movies during my shift. And then afterwards, sometimes we would go to the Saint because Moonlight was open until I want to say like 2 or 3 a.m. But the Saint was a 24-hour bar, which used to be a huge thing in New Orleans, but now a lot of the bar culture has sort of degenerated or really just doesn't have the business to support 24 hours. Yeah. But, I mean, those were back in the good old days when you just drank your way through the night until the sun came up and yay, New Orleans. Anyways, (laughs) back to Rob Zombie. So he was in White Zombie, then he was did his solo career, and then he started making movies. Uh, his first movie, which a lot of people are probably familiar with, was House of a Thousand Corpses, which came out in 2000. That movie did actually, I think, okay. I remember when I saw that at first, I didn't love it, but then I watched it a couple more times, and I kind of liked it more. It's not anything innovative. I think that's kind of, to be honest, a sort of a theme with Rob Zombie. He has a certain aesthetic, which I like which is this kind of rocker, hillbilly sort of thing. But some of his movies just follow very sort of formulaic approaches to them. I mean, it's a lot of times just kind of a group of psychos or whatever killing people. Yeah. It is what it is. But and House of a Thousand Corpses actually is part of a series he calls his Firefly series, which was started with House of a Thousand Corpses, then went into Devil's Rejects, and then... That was Devil's Rejects was 2005, and then actually there's a third installment in it called Three from Hell, which came out just last year in 2019. Oh, okay. I actually haven't seen Three from Hell. I did see Devil's Rejects, which I thought was actually pretty good. And I think Devil's Rejects did actually way better than A Thousand Corpses did. It is a little bit, it's a little bit more of a, um, I don't want to say, maybe more of an original premise. It's a direct sequel, and it follows basically kind of the psychopathic family and what happens after House of a Thousand Corpses, and they're kind of like on the run from the law and stuff. And then my understanding is Three from Hell, at least one of them, if not all of them, are in prison. But I don't know that much about it. Anyway, this episode's not about any of those movies. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering where, where that was going to end up going. Well, I'm trying to talk a little bit about Rob Zombie and his films because it's interesting. So anyways, this gets us to today's 31, which came out in 2016. It was his sixth movie, I think. So the movie is called 31 because it's a reference, which actually I did not know this until I started doing it for this podcast and trying to figure out things about this movie. It's called 31, which is a reference to October 31st, Halloween Day. Oh, okay. And Zombie got the idea for this because he had read a statistic which said that more people or like a large amount of people on average go missing on Halloween and more like more on Halloween than any other day of the year. That makes sense though. Yeah. I don't know if that's a true statistic, but that he read something that said that somewhere. And so he decided that that would be kind of a cool premise for a movie is to sort of like write an explanation of this. Yeah. So the movie was originally submitted for a rating and received an NC 17 rating. They re-edited it, sent it in again. It received another NC 17 rating then they edited it once more, and it finally got an R rating. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. He did say that eventually he would release what he said, quote-unquote, the zombie cut of the movies for people that wanted to see the original one. But as of today, at least, that has not happened. Also, very, very interesting fact about this movie. It was crowdfunded. Interesting. That's kind of cool. Yeah, so... After he had done a bunch of his movies, apparently he couldn't really get a backing for this movie. 
but he had sort of teased this idea of what he wanted to do and then did a crowdfund campaign and ended up getting a $1.5 million budget. The movie in the box office took in a little around, maybe a little under 800000 So I guess if a studio had backed it, that probably wouldn't have been a great idea for them. Yikes, that is bad. But, you know, for crowdfunded movies, like those people aren't turning profits. So yeah. it is, I guess, what it is. And basically, he was asked why he did that. And he essentially said that the system for making movies had changed, that before you could get backing for a lot of different types of movies, and now you just couldn't. All right. So he's also, weirdly enough, so he's done a, seven movies total now. He's also worked in a lot of TV and stuff like that. And really fun fact for people out there who may not know this. In 1986, he was a production assistant on Pee Wee's Playhouse. That sparks so much joy. <laughs> Yeah, other thing about his movies, people probably know, but you may not. He uses a lot of the same actors. Like, for one, he always uses his wife. She's literally in almost every single movie that he makes. She's very, very beautiful. Her name is Sherry Moon Zombie. I, wait. Well, her name was Sherry Moon, and then she married Rob Zombie, and now her name His last name is actually Zombie. Legally, yes. Not his Uh, original name. Okay, okay. His birth name, I guess, if you want to call it that, is Robert Bartla Cummings. And so he legally changed it to Rob Zombie, which was probably a good idea. Yeah. So, yeah. So his wife's name became Sherry Moon Zombie. Fun fact. She, while filming this, was in the middle of quitting smoking and said that part of what helped her portray misery so much was the fact that she was quitting smoking during this yikes (laughs) okay so i think that's enough prattling on about that i'll just get into this movie i'm gonna summarize a lot of this movie i will give my normal disclaimer that this movie came out in 2016 which means i am gonna do heavy plot spoilers and i'm gonna tell you how it ended because my cutoff for that is usually around 2017 for not giving away endings to movies so it opens up with a kafka quote which is, the first sign of the beginning of understanding is the wish to die. So yeah, Kafka, ever the drama queen, sets the tone for this. Oh, Kafka. Okay, so the true intro scene to this movie is kind of this thing. I'm going to just plow past it. There is a little bit of a scene, but then we get the opening credits, and we learn that it is October 31st, 1976. Ooh. Yeah. So there's a lot of like bell bottoms and cool grooviness in this. If I could turn back time. Yeah. So we're back in the 70s and basically we're on a bus. And so we meet sort of the main troop. So real quick, I'll just kind of prattle them off. And this is kind of me going through the cast. Charlie is played by Sherry Moon Zombie. Fat Randy is played by Michael Alcott. LeVon Wally is played by Kevin Jackson. Roscoe Pepper, played by Jeff Daniel Phillips. And uh, Panda Thomas, played by Lawrence Hilton Jacobs. <laughs> Panda? <laughs> yeah, let's, let's just move on from that. Like the bear? Yeah. Um, Venus Virgo, played by Meg Foster. That name is suspiciously made up. <laughs> and then there's a couple other little characters, but they die very quickly, so I won't even bother. So we learned that these people are basically a bunch of, well, in my notes, I put carnies, but I'm not sure you can say that. So let's say carnival workers. Yeah. 
Well, they're described as carnies in like the cast lists and stuff. So anyways, so they're talking about like their new carnival show, et cetera, et cetera. Like I said, a lot of stuff is going to happen. I'm not going to talk about it because I want to just kind of get to the plot and just talk about the absurd things in this movie. So they end up stopping for gas. There's some sort of obligatory foreshadowing at the gas station. I feel like this is like a very common theme where they you learn something is going to be wrong as soon as they're at the gas station. So then they're driving down the road after their stop and it's dark and they get to a point where the road is completely blocked off by these like scarecrow things like they're obviously like straw coming out of clothes but it's like on i think they were like crosses like in the middle of the road and so they have to stop the van because they can't get past them and so they're all kind of like well this is dumb so they're gonna get out and move the things and die at the end (laughs) yeah so they get out and immediately they're jumped by these this mob of people wearing black and white like thick horizontal striped sweaters, like not the most slimming of choices. But oh, and also fun fact about these people: some of the people that played these goons—that's what they're called in the cast list—were some of the crowdfunders of the movie. Oh, that's kind of cool. I yeah. like that. Yeah, it's like on Kickstarter when there's tiers. It's like if you pay this much, you can be in it. Yeah, exactly. So they're captured. During the capture, some people are killed. I'll talk about who's left, so I don't have to go through all the people that are killed, but I think like two or three of them were. Not in any elaborate scene. This all happens very quickly. So they're all taken to this room where they meet these like three like Victorian nobility cosplayer type people. I think so. They're kind of like Marie Antoinette-ish. I know you're the buff. You tell me what era that I was. I know, but I, well, okay, yeah. So I can see them magically in my head just from your like brief. Well, what uh, it, it really powdered is, wigs? Yeah, like powdered wigs. Yes, that's like Georgian. Okay. Well, I just didn't know if that's Victorian or not. No, that's pre. Okay, Georgian was before the Regency. <laughs> okay. Sure. I mean, I'm not really good with that kind of stuff, but that it all just looks the same to me. Either way, they're in these like powdered wigs. There's two women and one man and the women are kind of in like these big dresses their faces are very white powdered like even the guy's face yeah then that's definitely 1700s okay so their names are sister dragon sister serpent and father napoleon horatio silas murder or as they call him father murder these names sound suspiciously made up Napoleon Horatio Cyrus murder. Silas. Yeah. Silas. Sorry. Silas. All right. So I want to get a Pomeranian and name it that. But to be honest with you, I feel like you could run into somebody here and they would be like, that's my name. Oh, and I don't know if I mentioned they speak with British accents. Because I don't know. Evil people always speak with British accents. Because all British people are evil. Duh. This movie actually uses some linguistic tools. Which I'll kind of mention. I mean, they're pretty apparent, but I think this is one of them. So then Father Murder tells them that today they're going to play 31. What is 31? 31 is war. War like the card game? (laughs) Yes. They're here to play a game of cards. And that's the whole movie. It's just them playing cards. It's really well done. Well, if it's like the loser gets tortured and killed, it can still be like scary. Or like every time you lose a round, they cut off one of your toes or something. 
You could you could make it scary. So don't laugh. God, I played a lot of war growing up, to be honest. That game, I thought it was so boring. We were so easily entertained as kids. I played it with my Nana a lot. Yeah. Well, and then I played a lot of Euchre because it's, you the know. Midwest. Well, Michigan specifically. Yes. For people, I don't think I've ever specifically mentioned, I grew up in Western Michigan and Euchre is like a big thing. Oh, yes, it is. Yeah. So, no, he says um, 31 is war and war is hell. Then they're told that the game will begin in exactly 120 seconds, and all they have to do is survive for 12 hours inside the walls. Then they calculate the survival odds for each person who is essentially given, they each have wrist shackles on with a number, and they're they're just numbered. So they'll be like, number one, odds, like 500 to one, things like that. And then they're basically told that they're going to encounter some, quote, heads, whose job it is to kill them. So what the heads are is essentially these just like murder characters that each have these like funny little nicknames that they're going to encounter in this area and the heads are trying to kill them. I'm so excited for the nicknames. (laughs) So the first one, I'll go through them as they kind of come into it. But the first one we're introduced to is Sickhead. Sickhead is is not as entertaining of a name as I wanted it to be. Carry on. Oh, but hold that thought for one second. Okay. Because he is a sadistic, very foul-mouthed, Latin X, little person, Nazi. So that's that. But wait, his face is painted with like white clown. All of their faces are mostly painted with like white clown paint. And then he has like a red circle on his nose. But he's wearing like an SS officer hat. He has he's shirtless with a giant swastika on his chest on his arms and it's a lot yikes and he also says a lot of his lines in spanish although when i looked up some of the stuff about this movie the character's lines were not in spanish but when zombie found out that the actor whose name is poncho molar when zombie found out he was fluent in spanish he basically was like just say a bunch of your lines in spanish and they don't subtitle any of it so I, he does say a lot of the things that the character is written to say, but he says them instead in Spanish, which I think is kind of one of the sort of linguistic tools that I was sort of like mentioning like two seconds ago. But I sort of wonder if it's meant to increase the fear of this like crazy sadistic looking, I mean, Nazi person who's speaking another language to you. Obviously, well, not obviously for people listening, but you know, I speak Spanish, so I can understand everything he's saying. And I, but I, I would imagine that it's scarier if you can't. Okay. The other thing about it, and this is something I actually disliked about this movie, is I feel like the use of things like Nazi and Third Reich imagery is sort of a cheap way to seem really edgy. Like, I feel like those symbols in that really just kind of evoke this feeling of like disgust and shock. But it's not like they're not doing anything to achieve that. They're just playing off of history. And I sort of feel like it's a little overdone. Like, I don't love people being like, like this character without the Nazi stuff would still be kind of gross, but just like not nearly shockworthy. Yeah. And I just feel like, I don't know. I, I don't love that. I feel like it's a cheap throw. Okay. Anyways. So then everyone is, they, they meet Sickhead, but then they separate everybody. And an announcer comes on and says, welcome to 31. You have 12 hours to play. So Panda and Roscoe meet up and immediately discover Sickhead's room, which is like 
draped in Nazi flags. There's a Hitler speech on, and there's like these two dead women on each side of the room with like swastikas carved into their bodies. It so this is probably a good point to put out. Zombies' aesthetic in these films is usually like very sort of like Chainsaw Massacre, but like times ten. Like he yeah yeah he loves this like shock crazy grotesque imagery. All right, so then we the next people we see are Charlie and Lavon, who I forget to mention, Lavon is black, which is not a good place to be in a horror movie. Oh boy, and ultimately he is killed by sickhead. It's a little bit more involved than that. I'm not going to get into it, but he's basically the first to die, except for the random nameless people that die when they're captured. So the first guy to die is the black guy. There is one black guy left. And I'm not going to not say he's the second person to die because he is. So anyways. Oh, wow. And when was this made again? I feel like we've (laughs) moved away from that. Yeah. So, okay. So ultimately, Sighead is killed by Venus and Charlie. And so that's all good. And they win, right? No, obviously they don't win. There is a lot more head to be had. The next scene is this dinner scene, which I'm only going to mention because it's basically like they get this like fancy spread of food and they're told on the announcements to like enjoy their food. And somebody is like, I bet it's poison. And somebody's like, no, it's not. This is part of their like game. So then two people start eating it. And then Charlie notices that, like, underneath the table, she, like, pushes the tablecloth aside. And it's basically Levon's body is underneath the table and it's been butchered. So it's, like, very clear that they're eating him. Which, this exact scene happens, like, in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I would imagine it's happened in other things, too. I don't know if it was a nod to that or a ripoff. I'm assuming the first i mean it is a very iconic scene in the rocky or picture show and it is exactly the same thing essentially a dinner party where they realize they're eating their friend so that happens so needless to say they all end up like throwing up and they don't finish their meal that's rude someone worked very hard to cook that yeah so are you ready for some more head always so next we are introduced to Psychohead and his brother schizohead they're a lot more clown-like. They have these sort of raggedy clown masks, but it's only half. It's like the type of masks that are like half a face mask, like the upper half, and then hair. Yeah. So and then ha- like comes down a little bit on the cheek yes. kind of thing. So they yeah. have those, but they're like very sort of like raggedy and cut up and like, I mean, everything is grungy and like grimy looking in this. Isn't that kind of a part of his aesthetic too, though? That yes. kind of like grimy, Um. I had a word for it and then I lost it. Never mind. But that kind of like grimy horror. Yeah. I mean, even if you look at like his music, the f- I mean, if you see like the cover of his album, like Hellbilly Deluxe, which is what was his big solo album. And I, yeah. But yeah. Yes. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah. That's basically his aesthetic is sort of this like grimy, grungy, dirty, like punk. Yeah. Kind of like punk slash rock slash just like really messed up. So, essentially, everybody who's left ends up finding Psycho and Schizohead's room, and there's kind of this, like, living fuck doll situation where there's, like, a girl barbed wired to a mattress with this, like, sex doll paper cover over her, but she's, like, real, 
And there's a lot to the scene. If you want to see, you can go through. It's kind of just like gross. But Psycho Head and Schizo Head end up finding them. There's a battle. Ultimately, they end up killing both of them without losing anybody, which is pretty good. Roscoe gets his ear bitten off and his arm cut, but that's not too bad of an exchange considering they kill the other two. Yeah. At least he didn't get eaten. Well, I guess his ear got bitten off, but you know what I mean. It got spit out, though, because like a rude motherfucker, that clown is a spitter. God. Yeah, so then after they die, they recalculate the odds, and then we're on to the next couple of heads. Like I said, I'm skipping a lot of this. I'm sure you just kind of want to hear about the different heads and stuff like that, so it is what it is. So the next heads are Sex Head and Death Head who come in singing a German nursery rhyme thing. And Sex Head is basically this woman. They had actually met her before at the gas station, but she wasn't dressed like a clown. Now she's dressed, (laughs) to be honest, you know what she really reminded me of? (laughs) I'm trying to think of a way to say this that people aren't going to get offended by, but like she was kind of dressed like those sort of like basic girls who wear like color. She has like a green wig on, like a green like pigtail wig and like face paint, like the people who go to like the Mardi Gras parades and stuff. Yes, now I know exactly okay. what you're talking about. So she's basically dressed like that with like a tutu and stuff. And her name is Sexhead. And then Deathhead is this German guy who looks legitimately like he's like seven and a half feet tall. Like he's super tall. And he is also wearing a tutu and leg stockings with garter belts and like knee high white go-go boots. Okay. They're kind of doing this whole sort of like, and they're like very obviously a couple. Like they're doing this whole like S&M couple thing. And that Deathhead is definitely German and like speaks German. And actually, he yells at them in German, which is another time that this uses language, which he doesn't say like a lot of his lines in German, but enough of them. And it's usually stuff like, I'm gonna, it's like really raunchy stuff. I'm not gonna quote it, never mind. Um, but I know people use German to kind of sound crazy. Obviously, like, I can understand it. I speak enough German to do that. So it's whatever. All right, so Panda ends up getting killed by Deathhead. So now we are sans any characters of color in this entire movie. Awesome. Yeah. Very similar to how my book is going to go, but keep going. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then basically, very long scene summed up. Venus ends up killing Deathhead. Charlie kills Sexhead. And then the British people are basically like, oh my gosh, we need somebody who's going to close this out. They sort of reveal that nobody has ever survived 31 before. So they go through a bunch of their remaining heads, but realize that they only have time to call one more head. So then they call Doomhead. And Doomhead essentially comes. He puts on his makeup while listening to Beethoven because he's like a classy head. But then he starts screaming like, I'm not crazy. I'm in control. I'm not crazy. I'm in control while bashing his face into the wall until he gives himself a bloody nose. That just sounds like the picture of sanity right there. Yeah. He may want to address that with his therapist later. So anyway, he actually does look very cool, though. He's dressed in like a double-breasted, what I think is like a pea coat, And he has that, um, it's like almost that like gauzy material that you wrap around your neck. And it's like a very fluffy thing that sticks out of like jackets. I have no idea. A cravat. Yeah. Yes, it is a cravat. But he doesn't wear a shirt with it. But when he's like got his coat all buttoned up, it looks like he's cool. He eventually takes all that off. And is shirtless. But anyways. And he does his face white. 
But he doesn't do like clown noses or anything else like the other people did. So it's just like plain white. Yes. And then the bottom of his face, honestly, is like dripped in like grimy blood because he gave himself a bloody nose on purpose. Yeah. So basically, Doomhead kills Venus pretty quickly. Then he kills Roscoe. And the only remaining member of the troop is Charlie. Rob Zombie's wife. Yes. So she ends up getting out of the building and she sees a house nearby. So she goes into the house. Well, Doomhead catches up with her and goes into the house and basically lights up a cigar and starts to talk to her about, I don't know, he like pontificates, which seems like, I don't know, a waste of time. About what? How he wasn't hugged enough? (laughs) Kind of. I mean, he basically is just kind of, he likes to talk about sort of himself and I don't know that he's actually the opening scene of this movie too the one that I skipped it's like him killing somebody from the previous year and he did the same thing so he just likes to hear himself talk a little bit awesome so then he like is about to kill Charlie and then you hear an alarm and the announcer comes on and says weapons down 31 has come to an end and so he gets real upset and basically tells Charlie that she's lucky and storms out of the room lucky is not the word I would use to describe her, but in this instance, sure. Her therapist is lucky. Her therapist is going to be making a lot of money off of this night. Yeah. So basically the final shot of the movie is Charlie's like stumbling down the road, exhausted, covered in blood, like walking really diff- having, having a, a rough day. And then you see a car come up behind her. Doomhead gets out of the car, walks toward her. She ends up turning around and looking at him. He pulls out two switchblades, smiles, and starts to walk towards her. And then the movie cuts out. I fucking hate that shit. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, I guess I get that it's... I get what they're going for is this, like, surprise. Like, people don't know. But also, I would just like to know. Like, are you trying to say that he kills her? I'm assuming that's what it is. But maybe he was just, like, tormenting her. But if he killed her, he broke the rules. Yeah. Oh, I also kind of skipped over this part. The heads are all just kind of regular people who are paid by these people to do it. And I forgot also another part right before the last, that is how the movie ends. But right before that, you actually see the um, aristocrat type people, the Victorians getting basically being like, what do we do? We've never had somebody survive. And they're like, we'll figure it out. And they had been making bets and their bets were in like the millions of dollars. And so then you see them all taking off their makeup, taking off their costumes, and they're putting on just like regular business suits. The message, I think, is that these are just regular businessmen who are playing with like the lower class for fun. And so I think that is not the most original thing, but is fitting. Relevant. Yeah, I mean, it is it is definitely relevant. Okay, final thoughts. Is this movie a masterpiece? No, it is not a masterpiece. But is it worth it? Yes, if you're into this type of movie. I mean, I'll be honest with you, for some odd reason, I'm kind of like, I would watch that. It is, if you like the genre of sort of, I guess I would call it kind of like slasher survival horror, it is a well-done version of that. It is not the most original thing that I've seen, but sort of like the the announcers, the different like themed like heads, I guess, call them, they keep it interesting. I love a good theme. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I don't think it's, like, the most cutting-edge thing in the world. But for what it is, it is well done. And so I think there was, like, one review I read about it. And I can't remember exactly what it said. But it was kind of, like, 
you know exactly what it's going to be. So you know if you're going to enjoy it or not. So if you want to watch this movie knowing what it is, you'll probably enjoy it because it's one of those well-done movies. If you don't like those type of movies, you're probably going to think it's stupid. I actually didn't think the violence was over the top. I thought that some of the shock factors went for sort of like a cheap shock, but that didn't make me like hate this movie. But it wasn't, I wasn't wowed by it. And I guess saying that like some of his other movies I actually really did like. I'll be controversial and say that like his Halloween remake is not bad. Like people hated it, but it's actually done well. You just have to look at it not as like trying to like erase the original Halloween. It's just another movie. So wait, he remade Halloween like Michael Myers? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he did two of them. He did a Halloween and Halloween 2. And they're a lot more brutal. It's a, it's a, it basically is a completely different movie. Yeah. And so I do like his films. This movie, when I first watched it, was one of the more disappointing ones. Watching it again, I actually didn't hate it. Like, even though I had seen it and I knew everything that was happening anyways, I was still like, this is actually okay. I'm not, I'm not mad at this movie, but it's not the best thing I've ever seen. But if you're looking, if you're looking for a Halloween movie, Sure, go for it. I'm not going to tell you not to watch this. And um, I would. I would tell you not to watch it if I didn't think you should. You have before. (laughs) So, yeah. So, anyways, that's 31 by Rob Zombie. Now, tell me what you're going to talk about. All right. So, this week, I'm going to talk about the 2011 young adult smash hit Anna Dressed in Blood by Kendare Blake. So this book is basically on every single list of like young adult horror that will scare you. Young adult horror that is actually scary. Young adult horror that you need to read. So I was like, okay, fine. The way that you're saying that makes me think that maybe this didn't actually scare you. No, it didn't (laughs) at all whatsoever. But basically, long story short, it's super popular. Very much so. But I didn't like it. Uh, even though I promised that this week we would do stuff that we actually liked, I made that promise, but I'd already read this book. I knew I was lying to you <laughs> last week. Just letting you know. Anyway, let's talk about the cover first, which I realized when I did The Nest a couple of weeks ago that I talked about the artist not being known. And it all of a sudden hit me that in modern publishing, most of the time, like on the back, the artist is actually credited. Oh, okay. So I'm going to start doing that if I can. It's going to be a thing now. Uh, the person who did the cover art for this book, I'm guessing this is just like a, to be honest, it just sounds like a deviant art screen name, but the credit is given to someone named Necro. That sounds like a real name to me. I do not know what you're talking about. N-E-K-R-O. But to be completely honest with you, Necro gave us a great cover here. Gloomy House, check. Wayfish girl gazing away from us with flowing black hair? Check. A dress that is literally dripping in blood? Check. Necro is serving us literal interpretation, and I'm a fan. Someone get her a mop and a bucket because there will be blood. (laughs) I'm so proud of myself for that one. (laughs) Because the more you think about it, the more horrifying it gets. You look like you're about to say something. Well, no. I do like the cover. I feel like she's got a lot of hair. Yeah, that's kind of like... In the description of the character, they talk about her hair a lot. Okay. She has this, like, long black hair. Even though she's Finnish. Aren't Finnish people super, like, fair? I don't know. I mean, I would assume that there's people of 
every hair color in those countries i don't know when i went up to michigan where you're from where it's a bunch of fucking <laughs> dutch people i was like the only person with dark hair i was also like the only person under six feet tall it was horrifying i felt like a gnome also real quick thing uh the picture that went up on our social media has a sticker in the upper left hand corner about being a louisiana reader's choice if i have not mentioned it in a recent enough episode i am a librarian so a lot of the pictures that I am taking are of library copies of books because librarians don't make a lot of money and I can't <laughs> buy copies of all of these things and I can find them for free. Use your library. We're good resources. <laughs> I'm just laughing because you have not bought a book in a minute, but you do buy books still sometimes, but it's kind of, it's just funny. Yes, I do buy a lot of books. Uh, just random Amazon packages show up. What is it? Um, <laughs> that sometimes I go to Blue Cypress, which is like the best bookstore in this city. I don't care if someone tells you otherwise, you know, things from the friend sale. I think there's one in my car that I haven't brought in yet. <laughs> Usually I bring them in without like showing you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have sta- our house's stacks of books. Anyway. Moving on from my bad habits. It could be meth. I mean, it could be so much worse. Uh, let's give the books blurb a gander. Okay. Cass Lowood has inherited an unusual vocation. He kills the dead. By the way, I'm summarizing the blurb because it's like five paragraphs. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. When he arrives in a new town in search of a ghost locals call Anna dressed in blood, Cass doesn't expect anything outside of the ordinary. Track, hunt, kill. What he finds instead is a girl entangled in curses and rage, a ghost like he's never faced before, and she, for whatever reason, spares his life. Spoiler, it's a young adult novel. She spares his life because they fall in love. Oh, boy. That sounds like... Poop. Necrophilia? Because that's what it is. I don't... Let me tell you my two problems right now. (laughs) One, you don't kill ghosts. They're dead. That's just a fact. You can't change it. But he has a magical athame. Of course he does. (laughs) Also, I don't know. I will wait to... I'll reserve my judgment until you talk about it. But the premise of a ghost falling in love with the person sent to kill the ghost, that sounds so YA to me. It is. And and again, I've said this before. I love YA. I read YA a lot. Like, if when I make disparaging jokes about young adult novels, know that I make them fully self-aware that I enjoy them very much. And to be completely honest, the fact that Anna and Cass fall in love with each other, other than the fact that it comes completely out of left field, there's no lead up. It's just all of a sudden they're making out. I don't actually have an issue with. Like, that's fine. Whatever. Oh, Mr. Ghost Hunter. Is that an athame in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me? She's Finnish, not Southern. Hall Mr. Ghost Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Please don't write us emails. <laughs> if you're from Finland, I am so sorry. Your education system is so much better than ours, and that's why you don't make jokes like this. I can't do a Finnish accent. I just thought it would sound more sultry in a Southern accent. Let's continue. Anyway, so here's the thing. I actually really like the story of the book. Like, I'm fine with the, obviously the author really enjoys supernatural ghost hunting, like monster hunting thing. Like, I'm cool with that. I'm cool with main characters falling in love. Like, I'm fine with all of that. I just hated Cass. 
like hated like hated hated him uh he's arrogant he's toxic and he's a homophobic piece of shit and i don't like him and this book came out in 2011 be better hmm actually there's only one comment but it like i noticed it that's all it takes exactly exactly he calls magic fruity shit and i'm like "Mm." (laughs) which isn't like the worst like i've been called much worse than a fruit but calling someone a fruit is still like a homophobic slur so don't do it jesus wait when you fuck there's a character named magic no magic like like doing magic like doing magic like do you believe in magic how is magic fruity shit i don't know because Cass is a tough guy. That's the thing. That's like a recurring theme. He's like oh. super. He's like 17, 16, 17, what the fuck ever. And he's like super tough and battle hardened. And you know, but, but, I'm, mm, I'll get to it. So the book opens with Cass killing a ghost. And basically the only purpose of it is to show you that he is just such a cool, badass dude mm. at the age of like 17. And the thing is like. This is a young adult novel, so I can tell, like, he's supposed to be this sort of heartthrob, and I think this scene of him being so tough is supposed to flood my basement, but let me tell you, I was so unimpressed that my basement insurance premium went down. (laughs) Dry as a bone. Okay. (laughs) So through backstory, (laughs) I've had so much caffeine, I'm so sorry. So through backstory, we learn that Cass's father was killed by a ghost in some house outside of Baton Rouge. And his body was covered in with massive, like, bite marks. Like, chunks of his flesh were bitten out of it. It's Wait, like... Did you say that this movie was set in, Lu- in Louisiana? Book. Or book. Sorry. Uh, no, it's not. Oh. This he part- travels the country. Okay, okay. That's cool. His mom picks up and moves every time her 17-year-old son gets a lead on a new ghost to kill. <laughs> <laughs> That's somewhere in my notes. I'll get to it. That sounds normal. But basically, we get that backstory because Cass uses his father's magical athame, which has the ability to harm ghosts. Yeah, I bet his father's got a nice athame. His father is dead. I'm cutting that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it's probably not, it's probably a limp athame. Um, And so using this athame, Cass travels the country killing ghosts. Would you like to request his services? That's easy. His mother runs his website for him. Also, she seems totally willing to move all over the country because her teenage son says so. So, wait. So he's badass, badass, super masculine ghost hunter and his mom runs his website? Yes. His mom's actually really adorable. She's like this little, like, kitchen witch lady. I'm just saying. With, like, a little bit of, like, actual magic. Um, And basically she makes, like, Etsy spells. And that's how she supports herself, which sounds like eye rolly, I think, because like now that's become like what every suburban housewife who watched American Horror Story Coven likes to do. Uh, But this was back in 2011. So I don't know. I liked his mom a lot. She was super sweet. No, she sounds great. I'm just saying, don't call things fruity when your mom is running your website, bro. Exactly. Anyway, they arrive in Ontario. Okay. And when they get there, their cat, which can apparently see spirits, has a really hard time with the attic door, like freaks out about the attic door. And Cass and his mom are literally like, oh, it's probably raccoons. Spoiler alert. It's not. You know that your cat sees spirits. Like. Yeah. It's literally like on the same page. It's like, oh, yeah, he sees spirits. I haven't checked the house. Oh, it's probably just raccoons in the attic. 
What? So do they go to the Ontario to find a different ghost, though? Yes, because he got a lead on Anna dressed in blood. Okay, but then they go into this house and there's like something else in the house. Yes. Okay. Two storylines. Ooh. Complicated plot lines. Exactly. Uh, so Cass goes to school and immediately seeks out, and this is like a quote, the queen bee, because that's how you get information. And so that's his method. And so when he's walking through the halls, no joke, there's like this description of like, all the girls like stopping what they're doing and staring at him. Like seriously, I, this book is so blatantly like you're supposed to find Cass hot and he's just like a little piece of shit. So he finds the queen bee and oh, what's her name you ask? Carmel. Carmel? Or caramel. If you're from Canada, please tell me how y'all uh, pronounce that. I mean, that's just the kind of name for somebody who's going to End up on the pole, right? Which is a completely and totally valid form of income. We support sex workers. It is. But yes. Please welcome to the stage, Carmel. Cass also briefly meets a kid named Thomas, who is a telepath. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Okay. And because you could not hear the rattling sound of it, Max just rolled his eyes. (laughs) I don't know why, but I just find that dumb. Everyone is white so far. This is relevant. Please keep this in mind. Okay. How do we... Well, never mind. Go. What were you going to say? I was going to say, how do we know everyone's white? Well, then let me rephrase that. No one has been explicitly described as being a person of color, but both Carmel and Thomas are described as, like, being pale Canadians. Okay. So I guess, theoretically, like, Cass could be a person of color, but we don't. Like, it's not... Sure. It's not made explicit in any way. So Cass decides that he's going to go to a party that's like a yearly tradition because in YA books, that's a whole thing. Like we always have a party by the cliffs, which is what this is. Like it's like by a cliff or something. Um, And there he is told Anna's story. Apparently she was found. And I can't remember when this was like the 50s, maybe. Uh, She was found with her neck cut ear to ear when she was on her way to a school dance and her white dress was covered in blood. This is important. Remember the dress. Her parents moved and then a fisherman's family moved in and they were found dead with their heads and arms piled at the foot of the stairs and their bodies hanging down in the basement. Yikes. Yeah. To be completely honest, like the girl was great in this book. Uh, So Anna sounds like a good time. So eventually Cass, Carmel, and a few meathead jocks, including Carmel's ex, uh, leave the party and they decide that they're going to go to Anna's house because apparently there's nothing better to do. And so they go inside. It's this old crumbling Victorian because of course it is. They go inside and Carmel's ex is even more toxic than Cass, which is hard to believe. Uh, and decides that Carmel has a thing for Cass, so he's going to knock Cass unconscious. So he hits him over the head with a board. Just because he thinks he likes Carmel? No, because he thinks Carmel likes him. Oh, okay. that That's more acceptable. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so he knocks Cass unconscious, and Cass comes to, and Anna is floating down the stairs. She's in a white dress, dripping in blood. Her eyes are completely black. She's got black veins all over her super pale skin. And her, like, waist-length black hair is swirling around her in a breeze. Okay. And so she floats down, but she floats right past Cass. 
And then she smashes through a window, reaches through, grabs Carmel's axe, drags him inside, shoves both of her hands inside of his torso, and then wrenches them apart, splitting him in half. Ooh. That's gory. It was so good, actually. And then, like, Thomas, who was being a weird little creeper and followed them out there, ended up, like, dragging Cass out. Hmm. The next morning, Cass and Thomas are hanging out together, and we meet Thomas's grandfather, whose name is Morfran. <laughs> Morfran? M-O-R-F-R-A-N. Morfran. Morfran. <laughs> also, Cass has a headache from being hit over the head with a board, and I just want to mention this because it stood out so distinctly. He decides to take some aspirin and flat out, like, because then it's first-person narration, so it's, like, Cass's thoughts. He chews them and actually says, which is a habit that he picked up after reading The Shining. Because that's where I get all of my good habits from. Also, chewing aspirin sounds disgusting. Baby aspirin tastes good, but chewing regular aspirin? Mm Mm-mm. It's like, well... I don't know. It's just, to me, that smacked of the author so blatantly trying to make him seem like a tough badass. And she kind of missed the mark. And it's like, girl, have you read The Shining? (laughs) That's not a role model who's chewing the aspirin. No. Anyway, also, somewhere in there, uh, Morfran, who, to the best of our knowledge, is white. I say this because he's Thomas's grandfather, and Thomas is described as being white. Offers to teach Cass, who we also assume is white, about voodoo sometime. Okay. White people teaching other white people about voodoo. A tradition that goes back years. Yeah. Especially here. Anyway, uh, so I'm going to skip a lot of summary from here on, and I'm just going to talk about a couple of different points of the book. Because that was all in, like, the first, like, quarter to third. Okay. Of the story. First of all, Cass goes back to the house, and he's talking to Anna And I think the author does a really good job of describing Anna when she is kind of like in crazy killer ghost mode and non literally just calling her like Anna and Anna dressed in blood, which I know it sounds like kind of simple, but for some reason when you read it, it's just like a really succinct way of kind of like naming the side of her that kills people. Okay. I don't know. For some reason, I liked it. But anyway, she was like, I've killed so many boys, but I don't have to kill you. And I'm like, is this the moment where we find out that Cass is actually trans femme and hasn't told anyone yet and he's finally able to live an authentic life? (laughs) But no, no such luck. There's not really a lot of explanation at all as to why she doesn't have to kill him. But of course, because it's why they're destined to be together. And again, like I said, like there's like one weird scene of tension between the two of them and then the next scene they're making out like there's no build up to it at all it just comes out of nowhere oh man Anna's actual backstory is actually really well done the kids cast a spell which again casts labels magic as being fruity Mm, nice real classy that makes Anna reveal her past apparently Anna's mother was a witch but had like super puritanical moral views okay I I don't know Um, and Anna's stepfather molested her because of course he did and one night, Anna wanted to go to the school dance, but her mother was like, no daughter of mine is going to tart it up by acknowledging the fact that boys exist. And so basically, she like sicks the stepfather on Anna, which is weird. But then while the stepfather is attacking Anna, mom just like slits Anna's throat because we have to protect that virginity. That. I feel like that's a weird reaction plot. 
Like it was interesting for a while, but to be honest with you, I it kind of seems like they had a good start to her backstory, and then it I don't know that unravels a little bit for me. Like I don't get it. It's okay. We're gonna go further downhill. Uh. So mommy dearest decides to change Anna into a different dress, and you may be thinking to herself. But I thought the legend was that her body was found in a white dress. Pay no attention to the plot hole here. She then takes the bloody dress and she shoves it between the floorboards, cursing Anna's ghost and binding her to the house. Which is fine. Whatever. Yeah. She's like, what do they call that? A fetter or something? Tether. Tether? It's the object that that tethers a ghost to the world. I can't remember. Anyways. So after doing this spell, the teens free her by finding the dress and putting it like on ghost Anna. And all of a sudden now she can control Anna dressed in blood. The mom can control her. No. I'm sorry. Rewind. So the kids, after seeing this vision. Okay. Know where the dress is hidden. So they go and they pull the dress out from under the floorboards. They put it on Anna and now she can control Anna dressed in blood. Okay. Because before it was a compulsion, she had to kill everyone who came into the house, except for some odd reason, not Cass. So you say they put on Anna, the ghost Anna. Yes. And so when she gets her dress back, now she can decide who she wants to kill. Exactly. Okay. It's basically like going Super Saiyan. (laughs) Okay. It's just like going Anna dressed in blood. And she can leave the house now. So when she killed, when she ripped that kid in half, she was not wearing that dress. Or that hadn't happened yet, I guess. That hadn't happened yet. Okay. So she had no control over it. Her ghost is wearing the dress because she died in the dress. Uh, Yes. But when they put the actual physical real dress itself over the ghost, like on the ghost. Okay. It like makes it complete. Okay. I'll I'll just accept that. It makes vague sense. Vague. Sure. Anyway. Oh, boy. So let's get back to the attic that I told you about. Oh, yeah. Turns out that the ghost that killed Cass's father is up in the attic. And you might be asking yourself, but I thought that ghost was down in Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge and Ontario are a long ways away. (laughs) The ghost has been inhabiting the magical athame. And so every time Cass kills a ghost, this spirit is absorbing the energy of that ghost and becoming stronger. And here's where we finally get our first explicit character of color. Because <laughs> the person who killed Cass's father was somebody of color. No, he's just a voodoo monster with stinking, rotting dreadlocks and an almost comically overdone accent. Oh, no. It's like, oh, it's bad. And maybe I read it too fast. Like, maybe there's like positive representation in there, but I don't remember there being any positive representation of people of color in there. And I really want to say that the only like one is that one. And it's just like a little racist anyway. uh, And that was my breaking point to wrap it up succinctly. There is a final battle and Anna takes down the monster because apparently the crack in the floor where her dress had been shoved is now a portal to hell. So she grabs the monster and drags him down to hell and Anna is gone and Cass is devastated, but don't worry. There's a sequel. I mean, that seems a little convenient to me that the the floorboard created a hell mouth. And she just dragged him down with her hair, I think, if I remember correctly. Like, I think her hair is, like, snaking around and, like, dragging him down. 
But yeah, and that's basically it. That's Anne dressed in blood. It literally ends with Cass being like, we're going to find her. Mm. And that's it. It's basically like one book that was split into two books. Let's be real. So I'm not going to lie. I liked the story of this for the most part. Uh, but the potholes, the asshole character, and the like really sketchy representation of the voodoo monster killed it for me. So I am going to give this two out of five chewed up aspirin because that's what I felt like I needed after finishing this book. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a story I'd be that interested in. But that's just me. <laughs> and I just don't know why it's on those lists. Anyway... I guess maybe because it's gory, which I don't know. I haven't, to be honest, read much like YA horror. It was like surprisingly gory. I've read some YA horror and not much of it is like as graphic as this one was. I was actually very excited by that. And you might even remember when I was first reading this book until I got about halfway in when I realized that Cass's character was just going to be an asshole the whole time. Like I was actually enjoying it and talking to you about how I was probably going to read the sequel at some point. And then it just went downhill. Yeah. Well. And then the voodoo monster with the rotting <laughs> dreadlocks. Like, come on. Yeah. Not everything can be a winner. Anyway. So if you were a character in Anna Dressed in Blood, would you be killed? Absolutely. So I have snuck into abandoned slash haunted buildings before and I'm not Cass. And so if I were in that building and I would be compelled to kill me and I would not be able to resist breaking into the old Victorian house that's haunted. <laughs> I just wouldn't be able to. Um, so, yes, absolutely. 110%. I would just die. Okay. Would you die in 31? Um. Yeah, almost certainly. To be honest, most people die. They're given, so they're given, like, bats and, like, clubs with nails in them, but then, like, the heads that come after them have, like, knives and chainsaws and shit, so I'm a lover, not a fighter, you know? That doesn't seem very balanced. Plus, I have a bad shoulder. <laughs> you know? <laughs> We're old. <laughs> so old. Plus, I have a bad shoulder. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening. You can find us on social media at Second to Die Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Goodreads, where you can also find what I'm reading next. You can also email us at secondtodiepod at gmail.com. Any questions, comments, concerns, I guess corrections if you want, or if you want to suggest another book or movie for us to review, we'd be happy to, to hear that. And to, we'd to, be happy to add them to the list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. I phrase it that way. I have like every single book I'm going to read through the end of the year planned out already. Yeah. So. I don't. You usually like pick a book the day before we record or a movie the day before we record. Yeah. Well, I'm the spontaneous one in case people haven't put that together. Cole is a planner. I like organization. And remember, if you can't be first, you can always be second to die.